This is the Living Vertizano podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today looks at Malachi 3.13 through 4.6. In this passage, Malachi addresses Israel's arrogance, the faithful remnant, judgment, and covenantal renewal. Together, we discuss how our focus needs to remain on relationship rather than on the result of that relationship. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizano Podcast, back with you this week to uh, finish our journey through Malachi. Um, we've been on this nine-week journey now through both Haggai and Malachi, and, and this, is, this is the end of it. This is the close of that conversation. Um, as a quick reminder of where we were just last week, um, in last week's episode, we looked at Malachi chapter three, verses six through 12. Um, and in that passage, we were confronted yet again with a message, uh, on covenant unfaithfulness from Malachi to Israel. Uh, this time it pertains specifically to the tithes and offerings, and out of that, we discussed how the floodgates of heaven are opened by obedient and generous hearts. Uh, this week, we, um, again, finish this journey looking at Malachi chapter 3, verse 13 to the end. So that's chapter 4, verse 6. And in this passage, uh, Malachi addresses Israel's arrogance towards God, the identification of the faithful remnant, as well as judgment and covenant renewal to come. Today uh, would usually be Brittany's day to read our passage. However, as you heard in the introduction, she is not able to be with us. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and read our passage for today, which is, again, Malachi chapter 3, verse 13 through chapter 4, verse 6. And then we'll see where we go from there. So Malachi chapter 3, verse 13. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask... What have we said against you? You have said, it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. And the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves, then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. 
See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. All right, so there's our passage. There's the the remainder of Malachi that we have. Um, and let's just jump into this conversation. What are we seeing? Uh, what what thoughts come to mind as we read through this together? Well, right off the bat, I feel like uh, God has used Malachi to to bring attention to how the people of Israel are are being arrogant in in what they're saying about God and how they're responding to maybe what they see going on around them. And so, uh, you know, they're confronted with that. They want to know, like, how how have they spoken arrogantly against against God? And so um, Malachi dives in and and talks about how they um, they they are sharing these thoughts of it being futile to serve God. They see what's going on for those who are who are blatantly being disobedient toward God, and they're they're prospering, and they want to know, like, hey, what why are why are we continuing to do what God asks? And this is the re- the result. Like, if that's going to be the result, we might as well join in. We might as well carry on doing what they're doing because they're prospering. We want to prosper. And so they're looking for this, like, instant gratification, like this microwave meal, you know, type gratification. And they're not, they're not getting that in, or from their perspective, they're not getting that in following God. I think... As we, it's easy again, here we sit and it's easy to look at the Israelites and be like, how could you not, how could you not see the bigger picture? You know, and we sit from this bird's eye view seeing, but really, I mean, when we consider the fact that they've, they're going on almost a hundred years here of expecting something great, right? Since their return and they've seen nothing and we know that they're going to now sit here for another 400 years before they get to see the coming of the Messiah. And even this coming of the Messiah isn't going to fit their mold. Yeah. He's not going to do what they're anticipating and, and, and they're not going to receive the blessing in, in, I don't know, like earthly reward that I think they have in mind as they're going about all of this. And when I begin to contemplate that, I think it's easy to look at my own life and recognize how many times I expect, like you, you called it like the microwave, you know, uh, reward or, you know, how many times I expect, well, if I, okay, God, I've heard you say to do this. And so I'm going to be obedient and I'm going to do this. And then I get into this and and maybe I'm going at it a year or a couple of years. And then at that point, it's kind of like, I look around and go, wait a minute, God, I thought you said that if I did this, that there was going to be blessing and it was going to be fruitful. And I I figured since I was being obedient that you were going to bless us. And then, and then I look around and I see other people receiving your blessing, but what about me? What, what about the fact that I obeyed? What about the fact that I did something different or radical for you? And it feels like you, you aren't honoring that. And that is so, it's such a myopic view to hold because when I think about my tiny life, in the perspective of the whole of scripture, right? And, and God's continued story that continues to be written. It, it's really a very, very tiny piece. And so I, I think that 
we have to, I guess, not grow weary of doing the good. Recognizing the reward that we reap may not necessarily, as you you said, Nick, it may not fit the mold that we're anticipating. And it may not come in our lifetime. Mm. And that we're working for something that's far bigger than us. And that's the joy of getting to partner in this kingdom work is that it are the efforts we put in today, we may never see the outcome of it, but it's gonna change the world for eternity, which is really a much better thing to be a part of when you when you consider the big picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like we often are looking for the end game and not focusing on, you know, we talk about this, this vertizontal living and looking for the good. We if we think like they were thinking and looking for the end good and not all the good that happens along the way, then we get distracted because our focus is on the end goal. When God's doing something good every day in this process, if we're looking for it, the problem is when we get that kind of attitude that they have, you know, that they're expressing here, like not that we're absolved from having those same thoughts, but when we get that kind of attitude, then we we miss what God's doing every day as he's working toward this end goal. And instead of like it be, instead of it being a joyful journey, it becomes a journey of like you said, you're it's a weary journey where we we're growing tired in what's going on because we're not able to see the good little by little. It may be a tiny shift every day, but we have to be conscious of what God's doing. Otherwise, we become like the people of Israel, and we we get that kind of attitude of why why do I keep doing what you're asking to do when all these other things are happening for other people around me? Yeah, I think when when I w- looked at this first section as well, I found myself in a very similar position as what you were just saying, Natasha. Where it's like, like it's it's easy to say, oh, come on, Israelites, because, I mean, isn't that the story of Israel over and over and over and over again? Like, this, this, seriously, we're, we're doing this again? Okay, we're doing this again. So it would be easy to, to just default to that. But when I hold together this journey that we have been on and go back to Haggai, like you were saying, like, the, the promise that was made to them was that the glory of the present temple was going to surpass the glory of the former temple. And this was a struggle that Israel was working with in, in Haggai that we worked through, right? Like they were, they were grieving as they were obediently building the temple that they were told to build and saying, this is like not what it should be. This isn't what what we understand should be your dwelling place, Lord. And so they're they're grieving this. And God's like, no, don't worry about it. Just keep building in obedience, and and my glory will be there, and and the glory will be greater than the glory of the old, right? And so they 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 continue this work of obedience, or they return to this work of obedience. They complete this work of obedience, and now they're sitting in expectation of that promise. But like you were saying, Derek, they they were so focused on the the end of the promise instead of the reality of the day by day of the promise, right? The the moment by moment of the promise, which was this promise of 
of presence. And so they, they overlooked the reality of the presence that they get to enjoy in the midst of this covenantal relationship that, you know, has daily expectations on their end. And, and they just, they overlooked all of that for that ultimate end of, well, the glory will be greater. And so all along they're just looking, okay, so when's the glory going to be greater? Where, where's this glory that's greater? I think another thing as, as we're, we're discussing this is at the beginning of chapter three, part of this promise is that he's going to come like a refiner's fire. And we talked about in that particular episode of the podcast, how the refinement usually happens in the rough spots. And so really they're experiencing as they're experiencing this quote, lack of blessing, right. Or lack of fulfilled promise. Mm. They're probably God is taking them through a process of refinement and purification trying to. Right. And, and and that is, you know, so they're, they're, I guess they're not finding the joy in the fulfillment of that aspect of the promise, because Mm. this refinement is necessary for, for where God wants to take them, but we have to be submitted to it and we have to be willing to walk through the fire and deal with the difficulty and the struggle and if we're honest, the pain, because a lot of times it hurts and it's not comfortable in order to get to where he's wanting to take us. And so really they are getting to see aspects of this promise that they're living into presently, but they're not recognizing it again, because like you said, Derek, they're not focused on looking at the little good victories in the moments. Um, instead they're looking, you know, to that, to that end goal, that big thing that they're wanting to see. And so they miss, they miss those, those little moments along the way. And I think, again, I think that's true for us too. I think we miss the good moments and we also miss the refining moments and the good that God is doing when we become, too focused on the end. Well, yeah, we if we take our eyes off of off of Jesus, if, if we go back to like Peter, not to bring Peter back into this, but if we take our eyes off of Jesus, we find ourselves in a place similar to where the the people of Israel are at this moment. They're fo- they're looking at the other people. We can imagine them like the the winds and the waves, like they're looking at other people and seeing how easy it is for them and how their life is blessed and how they they just seem to, you know, everything they do, like touch it, everything they touch turns to gold and they see all this, this good happening. And all the time, like Jesus is standing here, like right in front of you. And he's just like, look at me, just look at me. And like everything else like grows dim when you look at me. And uh, I mean, as we like move on into this passage, like those who are able to like keep their eyes on Jesus, those are the faithful remnant that, that he talks about going forward, that he's writing in his scroll. These are the names that he remembers, because when things weren't easy, when things would when it would have been easy to look at what's going on in others' lives, he's able to, you know, these these few remnant are able to keep their eyes on on the goal, on the prize, on this this you know, greater glory that he's talked about. Well, and I think a, a theme that we see both in this particular part, talking about the remnant and then in the part to come is this clear statement that there is going to come a day when a distinction, a clear distinction is going to be made between the the faithful 
and the unfaithful. And there, there are consequences for each, right? Some, some get good consequences, some get bad consequences from what we would look at here. Um, but coming from the conversation that we just came from about, you know, where our focus is and not, not, uh, getting too focused on the end result, I think it would be unwise of us, even in the midst of this conversation that definitely does have a future, like a future, um, bent to it. It would be unwise for us to just focus on that future, like ending, because we, we would essentially be doing the very thing that we were just saying is problematic in the lives of the Israelites. Um, and so with that in mind, um, when I read the remnant conversation, uh, just those, what, what is it? Three verses. I'm going to be honest with you. The thing that really got my attention was in verse 16, like two lines down, the Lord listened and heard even just reading that again, kind of like gave me goosebumps. Like you have the faithful, you get this picture they're together and, and they're, they're talking with each other. And as they are talking with each other, these people who fear the Lord, he is there and he's listening to them and he's hearing them. Like that is, that is what we can expect right here, right now, as we live in this covenant relationship with him, like that's what they could expect. And that's what we could expect as we live in this covenant relationship with him. We can expect that right here, right now, he is listening and he is hearing us. And that's just, that's an overwhelming thought. I know we say it that, you know, God hears our prayers. We say, we, we, we like say sentiment statements like that, but this is, this is like truth right here, right in front of us. It's not a sentiment for those who feared the Lord. They came together, they talked with each other and the Lord listened and heard. And I feel like that just speaks further to, you know, the, the living vertizontal conversation. When we talk to Jesus, we can know that he hears, that he listens and he hears. Like it, it's not just words that we're throwing into the sky. It's not words that we're throwing just off into space. Like he is with us and he is, he is listening. Well, I think in both contexts, he was there. And in both contexts, I don't know that they were actually addressing God but their hearts were different in their words. Like as they're gathered, as these faithful are gathered and talking, their heart is not one that's, you know, arrogant toward God and toward what he's done, but it's one that's, you know, revering God for who he is and what he's done. Um, and so in, in both instances, even when we don't necessarily directly address God, our conversations together carry weight because God is everywhere, right? We, we believe God's everywhere. And so what we are saying, even when we're not directly addressing God, matters. It doesn't. We don't have to be in a church building for God to be there. We don't have to be in, a, in an organized religious setting for God to be there. And what we say matters because God, God did hear them. And what does it say? He listened and he heard. 
and he listened to the people of Israel who were who were being arrogant in how they were addressing him. And so whether we directly address him or not, he hears our heart, he hears our words, and he responds to what we say. Like as we go forward, we see his response to, he responds to our heart. And we see that in two ways. As you said, there's consequences, good or bad, however you view it. And he responds to what we say. And he's not like, he's just being just. In, in either situation, he's being just. I love the promise that he provides in chapter four, verse two. It says, but for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And so it's like he listened, as we're talking about him listening and hearing, he's also promising to be the healing that refreshes our soul. And so when we're grieved by the absence of righteousness in the world around us, when we're grieved by the wickedness, when we become frustrated by his seeming lack of movement in the evil and like clearing that out of the world, we can take comfort in knowing that as we fix our eyes on him, as we pursue him and leave this justice conversation for him, but as we fix our eyes on him, that he will heal and refresh our soul. So with you kind of taking us into chapter four, there there are two things that I see in chapter four. Um, first, uh, I guess this is more just a, a logistical observation that I'm making. So maybe this is actually like the prequel to my first and second observations. Um, so prequel, not first. So it's bonus material. Yeah, bonus material. Um, I I recognize that you know in in the Bible that I have in front of me, Malachi is the last of the books in the Old Testament before we get to the New Testament, um, and so it's it's serving as a a conclusion to more than just like the book of Malachi, but the entirety of the old Testament. Um, and when you look at verses four and verse five, you see those pieces coming together. Um, you see, remember the law of my servant, Moses, Moses is, uh, indicative. He's representative of the law, right? Uh, you, you see Moses come back in the new Testament when Jesus goes up on the mountain for the Mount of Transfiguration, like Moses is there and he is representative of the law. And then the next statement is, see, I will send a prophet, Elijah, or send the prophet Elijah. Elijah was, was understood as representative of the prophets. And so here at the conclusion of the Old Testament, you have this conversation on that like coming to a close about the law and the prophets and, and identifying their importance and, and their place in this conversation. And then even still the recognition that the law and the prophet as important as they are and as, as foundational as they are, they are pointing towards something that's to come. Right, So you, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. 
or else I will come and strike the land with a, with total destruction. And and we recognize when you get to the New Testament, I like I understand that the people who were hearing the the prophetic words of Malachi in the time didn't have the uh, benefit of reading the New Testament. Um, but when we get there, we know that Jesus identifies John the Baptist as the coming of Elijah who prepared the way for him, right? This, the Messiah, the, the glory that surpasses. Um, and so I guess that's one and two of my observations all lumped into one where it's like Malachi is bringing this conclusion to not just his oracles, but also the greater work of the Old Testament and situating it in such a way that it is preparing Israel to look, to, to continue to expect that it's, it's coming, right? Um, and, and what it is, I guess we don't really know, but it, it's coming. And so they are living in this time of waiting. And they need to wait. Like that, that's all there is to it. It's a time of waiting. Like he doesn't expound on it. I, I guess we can expound on it further again, because we have the benefit of the new Testament. We have the benefit of seeing uh, more of the picture. I'm not even going to say the whole picture because I think the story is still being written. Well, and we can really resonate with this season of waiting or, or advent as, as we're getting ready to move into because we are continuing to wait for his return. And so while they're waiting for the coming of the Messiah and in its initial, and they're waiting for the prophet Elijah to return and, and they're waiting for all of these, these great things, we too are waiting for his kingdom to come in its fullness because we aren't, we still are waiting for the full fulfillment of the prophecies of both the old Testament and what, what we know of from the new Testament. And I guess much like them, we have been waiting for hundreds of years Mm. and we don't know how many hundreds of years more we might have to wait or how many moments more we might have to wait. Um, but we are still in this season of waiting and the season of unknown. And so I think we can find some solidarity with them in this in this final, final chapter. And in finding solidarity, we can find correction. We like, we can find solidarity in their correction, which is like in this time of waiting, we ought not be focused on the end. Right. God will distinguish between the righteous and the unrighteous. And it's not our concern. It shouldn't be our focus. And our focus needs to remain on Jesus and what he's doing in each moment and live in obedience for that moment and for that day and do our part and then trust him to handle the rest, even when we can't see and not be so arrogant as they were here in the beginning, according to Malachi, not be so arrogant to assume that we understand God well enough to understand his, the fullness of his plan and his time. To bring forward the day of the Lord. Right. And, and And to not try to understand his justice because when things aren't going the way we think they should go, you know, we shouldn't just hop on board with everybody else and keep steering the boat the wrong direction. In the waiting, like, I, I think that you alluded to this on Sunday, Nick, the, the value of this relationship 
and not the end game, but the relationship portion of this, that God is is desiring them to return to this relationship, this covenant of faithfulness that He called them to, that they've continued to forget along the way. Like it seems like all throughout Malachi, He is pointing to their unfaithfulness in every covenant, in every promise that's been made. And He just wants a faithful people along the journey. Allow Him to be the one who takes care of the justice portion. We talked about this in Matthew. It's not our job to judge. Like, that's that's God's job. Let God take care of that. Um, but in the waiting, just return to me. Return to me. In the waiting, return to me. And when it comes time, I'll remember you as faithful. I'll remember you. Even though it doesn't feel like you're being remembered now because it's tough, because it's hard, because it's not easy. I never said it was going to be easy, but when you stay faithful to me, I will remember you. And I think that's all that we could ever ask is that Jesus, like, remember me. Help me to remain faithful. Help me when my belief is limited. Help me to be renewed, as you talked about. Like, this this refreshing, this this healing is only going to come through Him. And so Jesus, in the midst of all the things going on around me, help me to remain faithful as you have, as you've proven throughout Malachi, you are faithful. Even when it doesn't look like it to me, you're still faithful. And so that's what I want to like take from this. I want to remain faithful, not because of what I can get out of it, but because he's been faithful all along the way. I think in hearing what you guys are saying and kind of where this conversation has been going, this this thought comes to my mind um, where, like, fundamental to all of these oracles in Malachi is this idea that, like, real religion is, it's, is judged on the basis of relationship rather than ritual or practice like the things that we do it's it's all about relationship period and and so with that in mind piggybacking on what you were talking about Derek like for us it's all it, it has to be all about relationship and and I would even go so far like I know like you use the the term like in game, not about the in game. Um, I would even get more explicit and say, it's not about the result of the relationship because I, I think that that just cuts it even a little more closer to home. As I think about some of the conversations that I have had growing up um, as to like, you know, why it would be important to follow Jesus. Um, a lot of times those conversations devolve into, well, it's important because of the result of the relationship. No, no, no. It's important because of the relationship, not because of the result. We've got to stop looking at the results of the relationships that we are in. And I want to expand this conversation even further than just saying the relationship with God, because Jesus himself, when asked, what is, what is the greatest commandment? what he, his response was the greatest commandment is to love God with everything that you are. And the second is like it in, in, in the Greek words that are used, 
the second is like it doesn't mean the second is second to the first, but second is like it equal to the first love others, love God, love others. And so when we're talking about this idea of relationship and being focused on the relationship on a, in a moment by moment basis uh, with God, not the in, result of a relationship with God, we also need to be focused moment by moment on the relationship with others. Like that is what we are called to, not the end result of that relationship, not what we're hoping to get out of it. Like it's, it's just about the relationship. Like we are called to be a people of love, period. That's what Malachi is talking about to the Israelites. Like you are called to be a people of love, one who loves God and who loves the people around you. And, and that's, that's the problem. Like I, I can't look at the people around me and, and in their wickedness, quote unquote, and, and judge them as like, be upset at the blessing that they're receiving. If I love them, like I, I wouldn't do that in love. I would, I would do something crazy. Like, well, praise the Lord that they're getting to experience that even though like I may not agree with the lifestyle that they're living. That That's how I would look at it. And I'd say, Lord, use it, use it to get their attention. It would just, it would look different. And like, so, so if we're talking about this, the, the role of relationship and against the role of the ritual or the practice, man, then that opens up a whole nother conversation of like, we got to be real careful in our churches to make sure that we never let the practices that we endorse and that we uphold to prevent the relationships that God is calling us to. If our practices as a people of God ever prevent us from truly living in relationship with people, even in our churches, man, we've got problems because we've completely missed it. We've now made this about practice. We've now made this about ritual and we have dismissed the relationship. And when we dismiss the relationship, we find ourselves in Haggai. We find ourselves in Malachi. We find ourselves in this cycle that Israel found themselves in over and over and over again. And we don't find ourselves in this verse 16 of chapter three of the remnant who feared the Lord. I guess all of that to say, God through Malachi called the Israelites to focus on their relationship. Jesus in his ministry called us to focus on our relationship. And that's where we need to be. That's where our focus ought to be. Our focus has got to be on relationship, relationship with him and relationship with others. If our focus is ever anywhere else, we need to stop. We need to recalibrate, reorient, and get our focus back on him. Thank you for journeying with us through Haggai and Malachi. Sunday marks the first day of the season of Advent. As we continue our discussion together, we recommend purchasing Joy of Every Longing Heart, an Advent devotional, which is available for purchase on Amazon. Also, be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. 
To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.